Well, good morning. We got a full house this morning, don't we? All right. All right. You guys are in a pretty good mood for what happened yesterday. <laughs> Let's not talk about it. It's been a rough week. Uh, we had Thanksgiving this past week, and I know for a lot of us that can be a, a difficult time. And then to top it off with kind of the punch to the gut yesterday. So I'm glad to see some of us are smiling, right? It's good. God is good. Uh, we're going through our series of the book of Genesis, and we're going to be going through six chapters this morning. Woo! All right. Last week, Nikki did an amazing job, and she did, was it 14? I was, I was impressed. So, Nikki, if you're watching this, I know um, they're on vacation. You did an amazing job. Go back and watch that one. So, with moving through so much stuff this morning, I just want to go to God in prayer this morning to guide our time. So, let's pray. God, Holy Spirit, we invite you here this morning, God. God, please use me to communicate your word this morning clearly uh, so we can understand it, we can apply it to our lives, God. God, thank you for this book of Genesis. God, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So our main passage of Scripture this morning, we're going to jump forward. It's going to be Genesis 32, 22 through 33. So go ahead and uh, turn there. And what we're going to do is we're going to land here, but in order to understand what's going on in this passage of Scripture, we need to know the story leading up to it. So this morning is going to kind of feel like a Bible study or maybe even Sunday school. So I'm really excited we get to do some Sunday school together. So if you've got Genesis 32, 22 through 33 pulled up, uh, let's go ahead and stand as a church. We stand when we read, read God's word to honor it, to submit to it, to its authority. So we're going to be looking at Jacob wrestles with God. You can follow along with me. That night, Jacob got up and took his, his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So, so Jacob called the place uh, Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he was passing Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat of the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Mm, good stuff. A lot of stuff to unpack. And we could spend the whole morning just in the theology we see here. So let's go ahead and have a seat. And we're going to jump into the backstory uh, and see what the heck is going on. And before we start, I want to share a story um, that's going to help tie in our talk today. And it's a story about younger Sam, which is always, it could be entertaining or it could be awkward. It could be one, one or the other. So uh, growing up, I'm, I'm kind of a hillbilly. I'm from Newark, Ohio. I went to Utica High School down in Licking County, and we rode four-wheelers. We shot guns. We were hunting, fishing, you know, that song, hunting, fishing every day. That was my life growing up. 
And I remember when I was in junior high, my dad had this Yamaha Grizzly. It was a two-wheel drive utility four-wheeler, and I, had a, I saved up my money and bought an XR100, a dirt bike, little Honda, and I loved that thing. And we would always go to the state land down at Wayne National Forest. Have you all ever been there? It's like a hillbilly's playground, isn't it? Yeah, and you'll see, there's some deep mud holes. So the thing about riding public land is you can get hurt really quick and really fast if you're not paying attention. So I remember my dad, he, he told me this. He said, if you follow the wrong path, you could drive off a cliff or you could end up in a six-foot mud hole, right? It's if you don't pay attention. So he said, follow my lead. So I was a new dirt bike rider. Dad was on his grizzly, you know, and I'm right behind him trying to keep, that's my dirt bike sound, trying to keep up. And I'm, I'm like, man, I am Travis Pastrana. I'm so quick, you know. So I followed my dad and I learned the trails. We had a loop we always did. And what happens is when we do things, we get confident, right? And so it was, turn, it was my turn to be the line leader that day. I hear, uh-oh, already. And this was a trail we've ridden tens of, uh, 20, 30 times. So dad goes, here, you lead this section. So I'm like, all right, the passage, it's time. So I go ahead, you know, going through the woods. And I'm thinking, all right, go left here. Don't go right. That's one they dug out. It's a mud pit. And then we get to a section of trail, and I don't remember which mud hole I'm supposed to go through. There's three, you know. It's like the mama bear, baby bear, papa bear. You have left, right, and middle. And I was like, I got to pick one because dad's watching. So here I go. I pick the middle one, right? And I pick the wrong one. I pick the six-footer. Bike goes down. I flip over. I land on my back and just slowly sink like in the cartoons. We were talking about this at Thanksgiving, but (laughs) of course, right? But does this story resonate with anybody? On some level, it should. This is a funny story, and I'm thankful I didn't get hurt badly. I'm not mad about my dad about anything. But sometimes we have the tendency to follow in our father's footsteps. See, my dad was a great dad. He showed me the right way, the right path, but I still made a mistake, right? And we're going to see this when we start in Genesis chapter 26. You can go ahead and turn there. We see a man, last, we talked about last week, named Abraham. Father Abraham, remember the song, had many sons, right arm, left arm, spin around, right? And today we're going to look at his son, Isaac. And we're going to see Abraham was a dad, right? And he had tendencies, he did things, he kind of led the way for this family. And then now we're going to see Isaac is starting to follow the same path. So like I said, in true Sunday school fashion, we're going to story through this, and I'm going to be doing a lot of reading. So go ahead, turn to chapter 26, and we're going to story through this so you can follow along. Chapter 26 starts when a famine falls on the land. And this is, it's a different famine than the one that drove Isaac's dad, Abraham, to move to Egypt in Genesis 12. But the Lord appears to Isaac and commands him to move to Egypt. Uh, not to move to Egypt, but to settle instead in Gerar, the region of the Philistines ruled by King Abimelech. Abimelech. It's a mouthful, right? So Isaac settles his large family in in Gerar in obedience to the Lord. And you're going to see he does something his dad did. So he gets there and some of the locals start asking about, about his beautiful wife. And he immediately tells him that she is his sister because he's afraid they're going to they're gonna kill him and take her from him. We're going to come back to this. Does that sound a little familiar? Yes. <laughs> yeah, just a little. Maybe dad did that, right? 
So we, we go on to see that the lie is revealed when the king himself catches this couple being intimate and he's furious because Isaac's lie could have brought guilt about the kingdom just as his dad had done, just as Abraham done. So still, uh, the king um, decrees that anyone who harms Isaac or Rebekah will be killed. So God demonstrates again that he will protect his chosen people. He protected Isaac just as he did his dad, even when he made the wrong choice. The Lord then blesses Isaac by giving a hundredfold return on his crops in this season of famine we see in chapter 26. In fact, Isaac becomes so rich and powerful that, the old dis- that, that it disputes, um, how do I say this? Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. So anyway, um, Abimelech sends Isaac away for being too much mightier than the Philistines. So then we see they resettle in a different part of Gerar, and Isaac continues to have these disputes with the locals about this water we see um, that he was digging uh, for his herds and his flocks. And then Isaac travels again to Beersheba, uh, and the Lord again appears to Isaac, commands him not to be afraid, and then renews his promise and blesses him and his offspring. So we see Isaac responds in worship, building an altar, calling upon the Lord's name, and he also pitches his, tem- pitches his tents and commands his servants to start digging wells. Then the king comes. Um, he arrives to visit Isaac, and through sus- those suspicious at first, um, Isaac agrees uh, to help the king's proposal of a peace treaty between them. So God's using him. To honor the treaty, Isaac names the well his servants has, have dug after the word for oath. We see that in Genesis 26. Um, 26 through 33. So we're seeing this idea pop up like father, like son. That's what we're going to see all here this morning. In the first like father, like son moment, we see Isaac run away at a time of famine, just like his dad did. Maybe he watched him do that growing up. That's what we do. And, and, and then um, he ran away from a place where God wanted them, the land of promise. Abraham did that twice like father, like son. And then we see he lies about his wife to save his skin. Who did that? Dad did it twice, following in the footsteps of his father. So here's some application for us this morning. Okay, this is your first fill in the blank. The next generation is watching and learning. Here we have a young man following in his dad's footsteps. And we see in scripture, this next generation is watching and they're learning. Because what happened is when when Abraham sinned, when he failed to obey, when he failed to believe in God by running away, he didn't sin in isolation. That sin had consequences that rippled through his whole family and for generations to come. It affected his wife, Sarah, but also his kids too. Uh, in, in preparing for this, there's a, a pastor I like to watch, Skip Heitzig. He said this about this passage of Scripture. A disobedient believer is a menace to everyone. Isn't that true? Your choices, your actions can have consequences for generations because this next generation is watching. So what does that mean? If you're a parent, your choices are surely going to affect your kids. It's just going to happen. If you're a grandparent, those decisions, those lifestyles, they're going to be learned by this next generation. 
Think about you and your personal life. There's probably things that your parents have passed down to you. Uh, maybe it's a small thing. Like for me, it's always backing into a parking space. That's something my dad always did. Or if you go to a Spence family function, all the men sit the same way with our leg crossed over the other, like that. You guys probably have those things that have been passed down to you. But sometimes it's, it's more serious things. It's sin issues. And again, we could spend a whole Sunday on just some of this information, but that's what we see here. When we are disobedient, things can get passed down generation to generation. It's kind of crazy to think about. The good, the bad can be passed down. And what we're going to see is it even happens in God's chosen family the patriarchs. And I think it's super fitting we get to look at this after Thanksgiving because we're going to look at a pretty dysfunctional family. And I think it's, it's really reassuring for me because God's not afraid of our messiness because his chosen people, the patriarchs of our faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were liars. They were cheats, hypocrites, all of it. So to review, next generation's watching, your kids are watching, your grandkids are watching, Let's pass down the right stuff, right? Let's do that, church. And that means when you fall short, when you lie, when you're not honest, communicate it to your kids. Say, hey, I blew it in that situation, kids. I lost my temper. We don't talk to people that way. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? That's how we need to do it. We need to break these cycles. So that's chapter 26. Let's turn to chapter 27. Uh, We're going to keep moving. So, uh, where are we? Notes. I got 18 pages of notes. Bear with me. <laughs> uh, chapter 27. So, this chapter is going to echo some of the same dysfunction, uh, the, the family issues that we see in 26. Um, we have a dad coming um, from dysfun- dysfunction, you know, who's learned his dysfunction from his, be- his dad, and now he has two sons. Um, Isaac has two boys. We see Isaac's Abraham's son married his wife Rebecca, and by this time he had two sons, Jacob and Esau. So these are Abraham's grandkids. And they, we see in scripture they were twins, and these are the main characters in chapter 27. And this family has, we can just say some issues, right? This might be a Jerry Springer family, um, just being honest. And so be encouraged. I don't know what kind of family issues you're coming here with this, with this morning, um, but this is pretty bad, what we're going to see. Um, it, because we see in this family, nobody trusts each other. Um, Isaac's the father. He doesn't trust his son Jacob. There's favoritism. Esau doesn't trust his wife. Uh, Esau, oh my gosh, I'm getting confused already. <laughs> um, so we see, uh, long story short, nobody trusts anybody. Okay, That's what's going on here. I could map it all out, but nobody trusts anybody. So now we're seeing the effects of what Abraham chose to do trickle down to his grandkids because we're going to see there's going to be some people lying, right? Some deception to steal a birthright. Um, and then to make it even more sticky, we see this family has favorites. Look at, look at what we see here in uh, verse 28 of chapter uh, Genesis 25. It says, Isaac, who had a, a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. That makes the family pretty uh, dysfunctional, right? when you blatantly have favorites. Um, And so as much as Isaac loves his son and wants him to pass the blessing on to him, the firstborn, it was God who already said to Esau, uh, we'll serve the younger. 
So there's some tension here, what man wants and what God wants. And we know how the story goes. Rebecca and Jacob trick Isaac into blessing Jacob rather than Esau, and we see it works. If you look at verse 21, so Esau hated his brother Jacob, and Jacob took off because he was afraid Esau was going to kill him. Dysfunction, right? So those few days turned into what scholars say 20 years. And his mom died without ever seeing her runaway son ever again. Sad, right? That's dysfunction. So again, I don't know what kind of dysfunction you have or what your Thanksgiving table looked like, who was invited, who wasn't invited, who we're not talking to, but we have these moments in Scripture, and God still works even in this dysfunction. Because here's what we see, your next fill-in. Your family dysfunction will never be too much for God. Write that down. Here's another way to say this. God is never going to look at you and your family and be like, that's a little too much for me. That's a little too rich for my blood. He's not going to say, man, that, that family's messy. I'm steering clear. I want nothing to do with that. God's chosen people are dysfunctional. The patriarchs of our faith were messed up, cheats, deceivers, liars, so you're going to see this theme all morning. So that's chapter 27. We've got about eight more to go. Are we ready? Well, let's do it. We've got, got more notes to go through. So 27, we pick up the story on 28, and guess what we're going to find? More dysfunction, right? Um, so, but here's what's really cool about chapter 28 and 29, is you start to see God's grace come into the picture. And we could spend a whole morning talking about how great God's grace is. So view that um, view the, through the lens of God's grace as we story through 28 and 29, because these two, these two chapters are a love story. And it's a love story between man and woman, number one, but also between Jacob and God. It's a double love story. Who loves a good love story, right? So we see, picking back up the story, Jacob ran away from home. And if you remember, um, reading through the scripture, Jacob was kind of a homebody, Right? He liked to stay at home. You know, he didn't like to get dirty. He was probably watching Martha Stewart, good housekeeping, cooking up delicious things. He liked life inside the tent. And his brother was kind of raised redneck. You know, he had the Field and Stream magazine, a F-250 with a gun rack in the back. Right? We see that. So you have this home, homeboy, you know, this homebody on the run, living outside with spiders, hiking lots of miles a day. And he's on a journey that's going to take him 500 miles away from home. That'd be scary if you're a homebody, right? If you like the simpler things in life. And then in, in verse um, 10 through 11, while he's on the run, we see this. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. This was a long journey. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. That doesn't sound very comfortable, does it? So he lays down, he goes to sleep. In this place he stops, we'll discover later, it's a place called Bethel, uh, a name he calls it. Um, and in ancient time, it was called Luz. So scholars say he probably traveled 40 or 50 miles that day. So I'd be tired too. I would fall asleep on a rock. So he's tired. The story goes on uh, in 12 through 15. 
He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of, of Isaac. I will guide you and your descendants to the land in which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So Jacob has this dream and he has this dream that angels are coming and going and we see God chooses to be involved in human affairs. This dream was showing him that, ascending and descending between heaven and earth. He did it back then and he does it to this day. No matter the mess, God's never gonna leave. He's never gonna back out. God's always gonna fulfill his promise for this family, for making them a great nation. We see Jacob woke up and he was shocked. Because he's thinking to himself, I'm not where God wants me. I'm in a God-forsaken place. I've, I've tricked my family. I've ran away from home. I've stolen a blessing. I'm a deceiver. I'm living life on the run. Surely God can't be here. Verse 16 says, God chased him down, came to a valley in Jacob's life where he felt far from God and blessed him. Talk about grace, right? He stole something. He's on the run. He, he's in a dark place. He feels far from God. He's been disobedient. And, and God says, I'm coming to you. Let me ask you, have you ever felt far from God? I have. I'm coming out of a season of feeling far from God. But the founding fathers, the patriarchs of our faith, God's chosen people were broken people. So, that's chapter 28. We're beginning to see God's amazing grace. Now, chapter 29, I love this one because this is the karma. You know, this is when the con artist gets conned. We love those instant karma videos on YouTube, right? So Jacob, he's the trickster, and he's really, really sneaky. We've been seeing that. Um, he's about to meet the master tricky guy, right? The master trickster, and it's actually his mother's brother. So it runs in the family, right? He's about to put the sneaky sneak on him. So let's see what happens. So after his journey east, Jacob arrives at the home of Laban. This is his mother's brother. Laban lives in Haran in Mesopotamia outside of the land that God has promised to Abraham, Isaac, in the previous chapter to Jacob. So again, Jacob's walking outside of God's will. And, and we see in Genesis 29, 1 through 10, Jacob comes across this well in a field and he asks those gathered around um, the flocks, if they know Laban, you know, he's kind of putting out feelers, right? We do that too, to, to kind of figure out the situation to control things. Um, that turns out they do know him, and actually Laban's daughter was arriving with a flock of their own to water them. So Jacob immediately rolls the heavy stone away from the well and waters the sheep. I like to think of him as kind of showing off his muscles, you know? Maybe I'm reading into it. He's like, here, let me get that for you. So, anywho, I think that's funny. <laughs> I'll laugh at myself. Um, then we see in scripture, Jacob becomes emotional for finding family so far away, these relatives he's never met. So he runs and he, he kisses Rachel and weeps loudly and finally tells her who he is and, they run, and she runs to tell Laban and then Laban quickly arrives. He hugs and kisses and welcomes Jacob to the land um, and welcomes him into his home. 
And uh, so yeah, he goes home with Laban, his mother's brother, and now he's gonna get tricked, right? We know the story here. So after Jacob's been with the family for about a month, he starts working for Laban, um, and then he, then he um, offers to work for seven years in exchange for marrying Laban's younger daughter, Rachel. Isn't that adorable? I will work for you for seven years if I can marry your daughter. So Laban quickly agrees because that's a generous offer, and the years begin to fly by for Jacob. Uh, and when the time has passed, Laban throws a huge wedding party. And on the wedding night, however, I don't know how it was done, they switch daughters, and uh, Rachel... Uh, out with the older, uh, and we see in Scripture, less attractive sister Leah. So Jacob sleeps with Leah without realizing she is not her sister. And in that time, that was enough to constitute a legal marriage. So he got tricked. I don't know how it happened, but the deceiver got deceived. So he probably woke up a little angry in the morning, right? <laughs> yep. He demanded to know why Laban had committed this outrageous deception. He was mad. But Laban, he calmly tells Jacob it was their custom. You know, he fed him this whole line. And it was very apparent that that was his plan from the beginning. So a week later, uh, Laban was so generous to say, Jacob, you know, I'll let you marry Rachel in exchange for another seven years. Isn't that generous? <laughs> Golly, super generous. Side note, talk about dysfunction. You know, think about how Leah feels the one that just got switched out in the middle of the night and then Jacob's not happy. Imagine how wounded you would be. Man, it's just, you see the cycle. You just see the, the cycles in these families. So, but we're gonna see God's grace. So the Lord takes notice of Leah's heartbreak in this moment. He goes, man, Leah's really down and allows her to begin having children. Um, and while her younger, better love sister remains barren. So that, again, this section of verses is a whole Sunday verse of theology, so we're going to keep moving. But two words, God's grace. So Jacob's first three sons are from what we would call the unloved wife, which would be Leah. All of them are named as a result of her faith. Leah trusted in God, who noticed her pain, and in spite of um, Leah bearing Reuben, Simon, and Levi, however, Jacob still remains unloving towards her. He's still showing favoritism for Rachel. So, so Leah kind of gets to a dark place and she, she gives up hope that bearing sons will increase her husband's love for her. So she names the fourth boy Judah, which means praise or may God be praised. Leah's faith in God's goodness remained intact even while her hope in her husband um, loving her back, those hopes just slip away. So the chapter ends with Leah having no more children, and then we swing into chapter 30. Heavy stuff, church, heavy, church, heavy stuff. So Genesis 30, I hear the pages turn, and you guys are going quick. This chapter begins with an angry Rachel declaring to Jacob, give me babies or give me death. That's pretty much what she said, right? Not only she's desperate about becoming a mother, but she's a little jealous of her, her sister, who's already had four sons to Jacob. And buckle up, you know what's gonna happen, some more family dysfunction, right? So we, we see in scripture that Jacob loves Rachel still uh, more than Leah. And uh, Jacob's uh, grandmother, Sarah, um, we see that Rachel starts to follow the footsteps of her grandma now. Um, and, and what she does is Rachel gives her own servant 
uh, woman to Jacob as a wife. And by customs at that time, any children born by the servant would have been considered those of the wife. So again, you're having generational stuff happen on one side of the family and generational stuff happening on the other stuff. And what we're going to see is we're going to see a baby making contest. That's what this next section is. You can laugh. That's what's going to happen. Um, you can read it with me. So at the same time this, this is going on, Leah has stopped becoming pregnant, and now she follows Rachel's example and says, come here, servant. You come have some kids for me because I can't anymore. And so these kids start popping out, you know. Um, Jacob's wife, uh, uh, wife's servant, Ziphaph, in her turn gives birth to two sons, and now these belong to Leah. You're going to have to look up the graph. It gets really crazy really quick. But it this baby-making contest, the crazy thing is this competition of who can have the most babies, these births, it didn't end this jealousy, this rival between the two sisters. Because the reality is Rachel remains barren and Leah is still unloved. They're both still hurt people. They're both wounded. And all this tension, all this jealousy comes to a boiling point when Leah's son Reuben, we see he brings home some rare mandrake plants that he has found when Rachel asks Leah for the plants, likely hoping they will help her get pregnant, Leah lashes out at Rachel um, and says, you have taken my husband and now you want to take her mandrake plants. Right? You're going to take my plants. So Rachel, apparently desperate, offers to give her uh, one night sleeping with Jacob in exchange for the plants. Kind of weird, kind of messed up, right? Kind of dysfunctional. After this, Leah begins to bear children again having another two boys and a girl, naming them all after God's provision. Rachel, too, finally bears her first son, Joseph. We're going to talk about Joseph next week. Her name for him amounts to a prayer um, for another son to follow. Jeez, I think I got all the kids and I didn't miss any. <laughs> it's a lot of kids. So the end of the chapter, we see Jacob becomes quite wealthy. The story's not over yet. There's still more dysfunction to come. We see he found wealth, and this makes Laban's sons angry for taking such a large portion of Laban's inheritance because they view that money as theirs, right? Here you have an in-law coming in, getting wealthy off of what's our families. So again, I think jealousy is flowing through Laban's part of the family, okay? His sons were jealous people. His daughters were jealous people. You're stealing our inheritance. So just what we need is some in-law drama, Right? Oh my gosh, this is so, I love in-law drama. Um, yeah, I just laugh, smile and laugh. God calls uh, Jacob to leave this, this situation, we'll call it. And, and Jacob knows he, he's got to leave, um, but he's afraid though. Because what if his wife's, what if Laban's daughters don't want to go? What if Laban won't let him go? Even though after 20 years of faithful service, Laban continually cheats him, tries to keep him around, swapping daughters, you know? So Jacob decides to skip the confrontation and make things easier and hit the road. Honestly, I don't blame the guy, right? It's like, I'm just gonna sneaky sneak out of here and not deal with any of this, this mess. Uh, we see the story goes on. Three days later, Laban hears that Jacob's gone. I don't know how three days went by. Any, anywho, that's a whole... Side note, he runs after Jacob and catches up with them. The confrontation's going to happen anyway. But God comes to Laban and warns him, do not say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Instead of expressing his wrath when they meet up, Laban takes the victim mindset. He's like, you ran away. Like, you took away this opportunity for me to kiss my grandkids and my grandchildren goodbye. You know, he kind of goes to the, the woe is me attitude. And then he says, why did you steal 
my house gods. And, and Jacob answers honestly um, to this, to this um, accusation. He, he said, I thought this is what you were going to do. I ran away because I was scared. Jacob was really honest. And then he, he says, we didn't steal your house gods. <laughs> he said, we didn't do it. So he says, prove it. So Jacob allows Laban to search the camp. And we see in scripture, Rachel took them, right? Ugh, right? Family, family drama. And long story short, due to Rachel's quick thinking and deception, she hides the house gods. Where do you think she learned that deceptive switcheroo from her dad right so just this is so messy so anywho (laughs) yeah then Jacob lets Laban have it after that he told him off about the idle search about the 20 years of shabby treatment in in spite of his his faithful service Laban disagree he's pointing back going no it's probably really ugly at this point I loved you I gave you my daughters you know they're fighting Uh, And then finally, after this little quarrel, this confrontation, Laban proposes a covenant that both men will swear never to cross over to the point where they do each other harm or hurt each other. That's good, (laughs) right? I'd be down with that. So so Jacob agrees. A covenant is made with the building of a heap of stones. Uh, They sacrifice um, on the altar and they share a meal and then they split. A confrontation needed to happen and they got it all out And then they drew a line and went their separate ways. That's good stuff, good stuff. Years of family problems came to a boiling point and he couldn't run away from it. Sometimes we have have that. That kind of proves the fact that you can't always run away from your problems or sometimes your problems are gonna catch back up with you. Because Jacob tried to ignore it, but it was not happening here and God let it happen because this confrontation, it needed to happen. And what I admire about this is two parties on two different sides, very strong beliefs, were able to come together and draw a line. Think about that. Isn't that beautiful? Both were justified in their own eyes. You're wrong, you're wrong, but we will agree not to hurt each other. That's good stuff. So chapter 32, this is the big one. Um, and I've went a little long so far, so we'll, we'll get some good application out of this still. So this chapter starts with Jacob finally setting his eyes towards home in Canaan, a place that he had not been to in 20 years. And we know 20 years had gone by since he he fled the, the wrath of his brother, his older twin brother that wanted to hurt him, that he cheated. So Jacob's heading towards home, and he's afraid that his brother still might be looking for revenge. And we can see in Scripture that Jacob's still a little nervous. We see him sending out those feelers again right? He, he sends out some messengers um, to Esau to let him know that, hey, we're coming back, just letting you know, um, and that I'm wealthy and I hope to find favor, right? He calls es- Esau Lord and himself Esau's servant. When Jacob's servants come back to him from Esau, he brings no message other than Esau is coming with 400 men, Oops, <laughs> right? It's like, uh-oh, no context. Oh, by the way, Esau's coming with 400 men. So we see verse six, Jacob's probably freaking out. He's thinking Esau's bringing these 400 men to kill him and his family. He grows greatly distressed, number one, and also afraid. And so afraid, he plans um, to save his family by dividing them into two camps. 
You know, he's kind of taking matters into his own hands again. His first response to this news is to divide everything up. If Esau attacks one group, maybe the other half of the family can get away. In verses 9 through 12, even though Jacob's plans for the worst outcome, he still prays with faith and humility. I respect him for that. He addresses the God of Abraham and Isaac and reminds God and himself that he is in this position because of God. He is obeying God's command in return to return home and trusting that God will take care of him. Next, we see Jacob prepares an enormous gift. What better to win over your brother's favor, right? Um, he's, he sent in a large, uh, it said five herds of animals, goats, sheep, camels, cows, donkeys, 550 animals in all. They are to reach Esau one after another, kind of like a wave of gifts to subside his anger. Uh, scholars say this would be about $750,000 in today's money. That'd calm me down a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. I'll buy lots of dirt bikes with that. Um, so having sent these gifts after gifts to his brother to um, pacify his anger, Jacob rises in the night. He packs up his family, all he owns, and crosses the river only to return to the other side of the river. Um, it was dangerous to cross this river at night, but Jacob would rather risk crossing the river than losing his family. He was hoping to put them in a safe place. He wanted something between his family and his brother's army. He's trying to protect them. Don't blame them. Now we see in Scripture, Genesis 32, uh, 23 through 24. This is what we just read. For time's sake, we're not going to read it again. Um, now we see Jacob was alone. And oftentimes when we're alone, we get scared. You know, when we're at, when, um, especially when we're at the end of our own resources, our own abilities, capabilities. This is where he was right now. And then in moments like this, God shows up. And, and we see it here. Um, Walter uh, Landor said, when we are alone, we can't escape into other people's minds and be distracted. We have to live with ourselves and face ourselves. When we put down the phone, when we are with God, um, God can work. Isn't that good? 20 years before this day, God had met Jacob when he was alone at Bethel. And now, God in all his grace, again, comes to him in this time of need. And we know Jacob, he spent most of his adult life being a messed up dude wrestling with other people. He wrestled with Esau, Isaac, Laban, his wives. So I think it's super fitting that God comes to him as a wrestler, right? We see God comes and wrestles with Jacob. During this night of wrestling, again, you could spend a whole Sunday talking about the theology we see here in 32. During this night of wrestling, Jacob realizes he has spent his life wrestling with God and resisting God's will. And, and keep in mind, it's, it's good to remember that, that Jacob's not wrestling to get a blessing from God. Rather, he was defending himself and refusing to give up. That's Jacob's position we see. He's not wrestling to get something. He's resisting He's pushing away. The Lord wanted to break Jacob and bring him to the place where he would honestly say, not I, but Christ. We see that in Galatians 2.20. So all night long, Jacob was defending himself. He's like, no, I want to do it this way. And then, then what a stubborn little guy too, right? <laughs> what a beast, right? Uh, and then we see God weakened Jacob and the wrestle could, could only hang on. God got him in the hip or the tendon so he could, he could resist no more and put him in a position to choose, saying, what's it going to be, Jacob, or Israel? What's it going to be? You've got a path. 
You got to pick. Just like me on my dirt bike. I had to pick. I picked wrong. But we see Jacob really wanted the blessing of the Lord. We see in Scripture, but Jacob needed to face his past. And that's why God asked him in chapter 3, verse 27. The Lord didn't ask Jacob his name because he knew Jacob was already a little weasel. He knew who Jacob was. What God meant when he asked this, he said, are you going to continue living this way? Are you going to continue living up to your name? Or are you going to let me in and let me change you? And in changing him, we see scripture, uh, he gives him a new name, and that name's Israel. And a new name in scripture means a new beginning or a fresh start. God is giving, a J- God is giving Jacob an opportunity to start over, to set the reset button, if you will. That's how gracious God is. Amen. Amen. Our, and what else is cool to pull out of here is our God's big enough to wrestle with, with the hard questions, the why God, the I don't want to. So graceful. A God that gives us second chances no matter how disobedient we've been, no, how, no matter how many wrong choices we've made. This man, this family, a generational mess, yet God in all of his grace and his mercy showed up. Such a gracious God. So what does this mean for us? Uh, We can go ahead and dim the lights as we move into a a time of reflection. Jacob was holding on to a lot. We see he was trying to control everything, his family's safety, you know, everything. But we see God had a will and God had a plan. Jacob wanted to play God. He wanted to be in control. We see he lived life for about 20 years like this. But God got him alone and wrestled with Jacob. So I don't know what your story is. I don't know what kind of week you've had, what your Thanksgiving looked like. Maybe for you, you've been wrestling with something for years. Maybe you've been wrestling with God about something. A a why God? Why would you let this happen? Or maybe for you, you need to give something to God. You need to yield and say, you know what? It's time to stop wrestling and time to submit. Your last fill-in is to let go and let God. Sorry, I know it's dark. And I skipped some of these for the sake of time. Oh, not that many. So there's your last fill-in. Let go and let God. And then Proverbs 19.21 says this, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. That's what we see happened here. We all have plans. But somebody else has plans too that will prevail. Jacob had it all planned out and we're no different. But Jacob reached a point in his life where his past caught up with him and he needed to wrestle with God. And Jacob wrestled hard. He pushed back, but eventually he yielded. He let go and let God change him. So I'll ask again, what do you need to let go of and let God this morning? Because Jacob was holding on to a lot and he couldn't hold on to it anymore. Maybe for you, you need to stop fighting. What's it gonna be? We have a choice here this morning. Maybe it's fear, it's worry, something you're trying to control, you need to let go and let God. Or maybe for you, today is your day to come or maybe, maybe today is your come to Jesus day. If you don't know Jesus, let's make that day today. 
Maybe it's time to make a decision to come to Jesus, accept him as your Lord and Savior. This morning is a good time to stop, to let go, to stop wrestling, and to let God. Because we serve, we worship a God who's big enough for your dysfunction. No matter what you've been told, your messiness is not too much for God. Your quirks, your wounds, he welcomes you as you are. Because what we've seen this morning, our God is a God of grace. He has a plan for you. We've seen it on display, even in the midst of dysfunction. That means you can never be too far gone for God. We see in Scripture, for God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son to die a horrible death so that we may be with him forever. Isn't that the good news? Great news. Amen. God came to us, and God's willing to come to you if you turn and accept him. So if you want this God in your life, we're going to pray here in a moment. You can have it. It's free. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. We see in Scripture there's no special words or a special prayer that makes you saved. It's a confession from your heart. So we're going to pray right now, and if you want Jesus, you can say this out loud. It's not special words from a special person. So we can pray, we can bow our heads. If you want Jesus this morning, say, say this or something like this. Say, dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I fall short daily. I know that I can't earn and I didn't earn this gift of salvation. God, I believe you died for my sins. You rose from the dead. Jesus, I invite you to come into my heart and my life. I wanna trust you as my Lord and Savior. Amen. See, church, that's all it takes. And if you've prayed that prayer this morning for the first time, let us know on your Connect card at the Welcome Center. We want to rejoice with you. Um, and, and if you don't have a church home, we would love to be that church family with you. And also, uh, I didn't let our prayer team know this. I'm sorry, prayer team. But if you are wrestling with something this morning and you need prayer, come up here afterwards. Uh, we have men and women that would um, love to pray with you. If you're wrestling with something, if you need help, if you are broken, if there's dysfunction in your life, if you're at a crossroads and you don't know what to do, the best thing to do is pray, amen? amen. We would love to pray with you. So with that, if you're feeling convicted this morning, please walk into that conviction. That's the Holy Spirit telling you something. So um, let's go ahead and close. And if you need prayer, um, I'm going to close, we'll do some announcements, and then you can come up and receive some prayer. So let's, let's pray as we close our time. Dear God, thank you for being a good and gracious God. Thank you for choosing to be a part of our lives, even in the mess, God. God, thank you for this word um, that, that you, you brought us this morning, Father. Thank you for the truths you're speaking into each and every one of our lives. Father, we love you. We thank you for this church. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right, we can go ahead and bring the lights back up.